I'm Zach D'Amico. And I'm Carson Cook. And welcome to The New Auteurs, the podcast where we take the critical framework from the golden era of cinema and apply it to today's films and filmmakers. On each episode of The New Auteurs, we'll go deep on one director, writer, actor, or other filmmaker using a singular film as a case study in an attempt to understand their screen essence. This month, we are making an exception to our minimum film rule, and we are going to be talking about Jordan Peele, the writer-director of 2017's Get Out and 2019's Us. We're going to be talking about him through the lens of his most recent film, Us. He is, of course, producer and co-writer of the upcoming Candyman sequel, which comes out a couple days after this recording and a couple days before its post. And in celebration of this month's Rough Cut Cinema Spotlight on film festivals, Jordan Peele's Get Out was also a probably one of the most famous in recent history secret screenings at the Sundance Film Festival in 2017. Now, I'm glad you brought up Candyman, because I was going to ask you about this before we started recording. I decided to ambush you here instead. I just saw in Letterboxd a Candyman watch by you with two and a half stars for the original. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's up with that? Here's the thing. I, I think I'll probably change it to three over time, but our mutual friend and co-Rough Cut writer Ben had just given it five stars. So I felt the need to like really dig my heels in on that rating. I have like a very, I think we've discussed this. I have a, I have a strong psychological line between three and two and a half. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm making a specific, there's a, there's a passive three. There's no such thing as a passive two and a half. Like that's an active choice to give a movie two and a half. So I felt like I needed to make that active choice. Some, if I give something a three, people will be like, oh, you didn't like it. But like, okay, whatever. But like two and a half. So I felt the need to make that statement. I may I may bring it up a little bit in the future. But yeah, no, not not a good movie, I didn't think. Oh, see, <laughs> I, I, I think it's, I mean, ben, Ben's five star. We're just going to put him on blast in this episode, which he's not a part of. And, and honestly, he won't listen to. But yeah, f- five stars is too much for a film that, you know, I think is quite good and has a lot in its mind and doesn't execute it all well. But a film that you have to give, honestly, at least a at least a half star, maybe a full star bump for that Philip Glass score, which is so, so good. One and a half stars for the Philip Glass door score. <laughs> One star for Tony Todd. Uh no, Candyman's good. It's good. It has issues, but it's good. I just, I'm like, it spends a good 45 minutes deciding that we need to follow Virginia Madsen's like descent into paranoia and then a mental hospital. And then it's it's completely uninteresting to me and takes the movie entire. I actually thought it was quite good for the first 45 minutes. Uh, it was very, it was like, it took a while. It's actually funny, you know, I... I talking to Ben and looking at his uh, fiance Morgan's review on Letterboxd, it was clear that she was like, uh-uh, no way, absolutely not. And so I expected, so the first 45 minutes, there's not that much violence. There's not that much gore. There's not that much even, you know, fear or scary moments. But it didn't feel slow. It felt very well-paced. I really enjoyed that that first 45 minutes. And then it just devolves into throwing literally every idea you possibly can into the pot and stirring it around and hoping it turns into like, a unified movie and it does not 
No, that's fair. I mean, it's one of those things where you kind of have to figure out to a movie where you have to figure out how, whether it's smart, like whether it knows what it's doing, uh, there, there's a bit of it that, you know, you can kind of read it as either there's some, there's some satire there, or there's some just like ignorance and, and you kind of figure out which, which one at my, at my, uh, my non-movie job, we talk a lot about in the workplace, assuming positive intent. And that's the thing I sometimes like to do that's with, nice. with movies too, is I assume that they were going for the thing that would be good in my mind and not, okay. not the bad thing. And then, you know, I enjoy it all a little more. I like that approach. You should stay off the internet then. That's I try my best advice. Um, <laughs> I try. Yeah, that, that's, that's a decent approach. I, um, you know, I was happy to finally, I know you were sorely disappointed when you sat through the entirety of Nick Cage's Wicker Man and didn't get the famous bees moment, no bees. but but we got we got a, we got some good hard. I mean, we got a bee makeout, a lot of bees, yeah, like a, a bee kiss yeah. in this movie, which really, I think that was like my most. You know, I often measure horror movies by like the moments where like I either want to yell out or look away or am grabbing something and like. That, that that was the most visceral moment for me. It was like when the, the bee kiss. I, I like Virginia Madsen, but what if Nicolas Cage played that role in Candyman? Now that's a movie. That's a movie. Yeah. I like that. I mean, then you get an automatic additional extra star for Nick Cage. And so now I'm already up in the three and a half range before I really even watched the movie. That's that's where I, I like am... to be. <laughs> I like to have to subtract stars right, as opposed right. to, to going at a high. Yeah, and I I I do want to go back. The one I mean, I I genuinely thought Tony Todd was was very very good. Yes. Um, especially considering he doesn't show up until he has a lot to live up to. Whenever you talk about a villain for an hour mm-hmm. and create this larger than life mythos before he even shows up. That, that's a tall task. And I mean, he just, that first scene where he appears in the parking garage, fantastic, yeah. uh, very subtle. And, but the, but the, the, the score is just, I mean, killed. A- it's actually, so good. Absolutely. Like really, really good. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. All right. Well, well, I'm I'm glad we were able to have that chat on on air. I'm very excited about the upcoming Candyman. Yeah, I'm gonna plan to see that this week. Very excited. Here's the impressive thing about the upcoming Candyman. Mm-hmm. We've had we have a lot of discussions on and off the pod about trailers. We don't need to go down the deep rabbit hole of trailers as art versus just as commerce drivers. Yeah. But my wife Sarah, who will not watch horror movies uh for the most part saw the trailer for Candyman and said oh i get why you're so excited for that absolutely no way i'm watching it <laughs> so the fact that it can it can do that you know someone who watches it and thinks no way i want to see that but man do i get why people do you know that's a good sign i think good trailer I'm, um, uh, so yeah i'm very excited but we're not here ultimately to talk about Candyman. no we're here to talk about us okay so we both just rewatched Jordan Peele's Us. Did you see it right when it came out? I assume yes. I did. It was one of my, it was my last of my favorite days, which are the days in which uh, I either take the day off. It, it came out right around my birthday. Mm-hmm. I believe my birthday was actually on a Friday that year. It was a, my birthday was a Thursday or Friday that year, two years ago. And I either took the day off or left early or something for my birthday and I went and saw us 
and that is a, a tradition of mine that I enjoy. I have not been able to do it the last two years, unfortunately, but, uh, and I, and I, I loved it. I, my initial hot take was like, it's better than get out. I've cooled on that hot take. It's a hot um, take. It is. It's different than get out. Um, but I liked it quite a bit and I found myself being the one to go to bat for it. You know, I, I think early in its life cycle, some of the criticism was actually not unlike what I just mentioned with Candyman, although of a different, totally different degree, but that like, you know, it's trying to do too much or kind of what it's trying to say about America and about some of the, the commentary is just gets too complicated and too bloated. And yeah. I was I was very defensive of that. Um, yeah, it doesn't tie it doesn't tie kind of neat bows on things, which I think Get Out does to a certain extent. But I think Get Out does well. And you know, in this, there's kind of the movies don't have to have neat little bows. You don't have to do that. And I think that's you know uh, been my defense as well. Watching it again, I think there's probably an argument that uh, it, it doesn't tie neat little bows not because of kind of, you know, it really wants to remain ambiguous or whatever, but because there's just like too much going on and like doesn't really need to bother doing that. But I ultimately, again, I, I don't think it it particularly matters uh, for this movie and we'll, we'll get into it, but. I just think you're splitting hairs at that point. Like I have yeah. plenty of, it's funny. I have plenty of criticisms, not plenty, but I have a handful of criticisms of the movie and I feel strongly about those criticisms but also I still I gave it four and a half stars on on rewatch. That's what I gave it on my first watch. It got both better and worse in that I noticed what made it good was even better than I realized. And what I didn't love the first time, I really didn't love this time. But also like I didn't care that much. The stuff that doesn't work that well, I forget about pretty quickly. And like I said, it's kind of splitting hairs to a degree. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun is what this movie is. I think more you know there are messages to be had per per se and you can read you can kind of take away from it what you want to a certain extent which is always you know fun in in a lot of ways but it is bigger than get out it is messier it is i think a little more you know technically impressive you know just from a sheer kind of hey i'm making a a horror movie that's going to knock your socks off kind of way some of the set pieces in this are really phenomenal but yeah but i mean it's it's interesting because you look back at some of the 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 critical reception and yes it was you know there were the nitpicks and everything but it was more positive than i kind of remembered it being and and perhaps that's just because i remember the comparisons to get out and you know those were there but it was still like this most people most critics at least were like yeah this movie rocks like it's super fun when he i don't want to quite say he preempted it and i don't i certainly don't think it was necessarily purposeful but he did say during either the 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 pre-release press tour or even during the making of it he said you know that he was surprised by some of the genre confusion over get out and so with us he decided to make a i think he you know a quote unquote like what did he what did he call it i have it a full-on horror film and so I think that's probably mostly true, but I actually do think it's it's probably part setting expectations. Like you're not getting something that's going to break your brain and make you feel like it's the most zeitgeistiest of films 
for this moment. You're getting a dope horror movie and that is what it is. And so like you didn't have people being like you didn't achieve the masterpiece level of get out. You just have people being like great follow up. He's not a fluke. <laughs> He's yeah. an incredibly gifted filmmaker. Like, yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's 100 percent right. Let's you, you brought up the genre confusion and get out. Let's talk about that for a minute. Get out. Peel's debut popularized i would say this this idea of elevated horror i'm I'm making little little air quotes as i say that elevated horror seems to be this idea that things just can't be horror it can't just be horror for horror's sake and kind of ignores the notion that most horror movies especially most really good horror movies that have a lot of staying power are about something else and are have these kind of intricate metaphors but they're they're often under the surface and with get out people really felt the need to stretch and be like oh it's not it's not horror it's it's elevated horror it it felt like they were trying to do jordan peele a favor that he'd never asked for and didn't need right (laughs) correct and didn't need a, a, a good addition like he made the movie he wanted to make. He knew, expected it presumably to be considered horror. And like, it should be given a certain amount of respect based solely on the movie, like the, the technical proficiency and the effectiveness of the movie as storytelling, as, as visual storytelling, as, you know, I mean, it's an incredible film and it doesn't need to be anything other than what it is. But obviously, I mean, people there, and it's true that there is like a cadre of people out there who like, won't give horror the time of day and i'm not talking about people who don't like scary movies but like you know people quote unquote in the academy or you know people who just think a certain type of movie has a ceiling you know a horror movie has a ceiling oh it's great for a horror movie right and so i i get the instinct especially you know peel was eventually nominated (laughs) you know the movie got several nominations it got a best picture nomination it got a you know screenwriting win and so I, I get the instinct, but it became very widespread to, to negative impact, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess there there is, you know, to be very generous, there's an argument perhaps that because the Academy is, you know, a little old school and, and by that I mean they're like fuddy-duddies and not very diverse, uh, um, that if there had not been kind of this you know, in the air, is there this such idea thing as a, is a diverse fuddy duddy. Eh, perhaps, you know, maybe a just a group of fuddy duddies in yeah, an so. elevated fuddy duddy. Um, but, you know, there, there is an idea that had people not really talk this up as like, oh, it's not just horror. It's something, you know, bet it's improved horror. Uh, it the Academy wouldn't have nominated it. I, I think there's you can see a world where where that happens but i I mean it's the same world where lupita nyango doesn't get nominated for best actress in one of the best performances of the year now Mm -hmm. it's always tough to say what exactly why someone didn't get nominated but she was i mean just so widely hailed she is a previously nominated actress so it's not as though she's not on their radar as a serious performer right and so it's presumably the nature of the role that you know at least contributed towards her not getting nominated so it's not a stretch to think that the same thing easily could have happened with the movie itself i think that's right and that actually kind of brings me to uh, in terms of kind of how this movie had 
you know, and maybe, maybe it wasn't an Oscar movie. Maybe it wasn't, that's not what it was ever going to be. But I, I want to ask you a question that to be, to be fair, we are probably not really, you know, we are not in a position to really answer, but I do wonder about when you think about like the Academy in particular and kind of critical awards bodies as a conglomerate, whether the fact that this movie is not as like overtly about racial dynamics is why there was a slightly cooler like kind of awards reaction to it. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, I mean, I think it's a mix of things. I think while the Academy doesn't necessarily like to award debut directors or, you know, debut actor, well, debut actresses, they certainly like to, um, I, they still can be enthralled by what seems like the, the moment where someone becomes the next big thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that contributed to Get Out being bigger. I think absolutely the fact that that was, it was both more directly about racial politics, race in America. And also it came out two months into the, or it screened, you know, yeah. the what the weekend of his inauguration, basically at Sundance, sure. January, 2017. I mean, it just like tapped into this, it tapped into this idea that like everyone, so many people were like, you know, we're post-race, a post-race America with Obama. Yeah. And so many people were coming to this realization that, oh my God, we're not. And then this movie was like, yeah, no shit, we never have been. And so it, it, it tapped into that moment. I also think a lot of it, you know, I think there is a point to be made about pure horror versus something that is not as stereotypically horror. You know, I, I was surprised on rewatch by how the middle of this movie is just straight up slasher it's it's it is almost 45 minutes to an hour of people trying not to get killed and other people trying to kill them for the most part and the all of the the world building and the background information that happens before and after mostly gets put on pause during that time and it is straight horror um whereas get out is it is more deliberately paced in how it reveals information and how it mixes you know, and how it sort of mixes the elements of straight up horror versus this, the sort of conversations that bring up some of its messages versus like the drip drip of information coming, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more deliberately paced in that way. Like the, the middle of us is straight horror, nothing else. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that may have had some influence on how it was perceived. I think that's, I think that's probably true, but I, I just, I find it fascinating that I, you know, to my recollection, no one was talking about this movie as, you know, elevated horror, right? Even though I think this movie, and like we talked about, it gets a little muddled and it's a little more oblique, but this movie has a lot of interesting things on its mind, at least, and on the screen about class in particular, and I think race to uh, to a slightly lesser degree than, than class, but and, and gender, it has a lot of stuff going on, but obviously it doesn't have, you know, I would have voted for Obama a third time, right? It's not like, right. it. it's not in your face. And, and that's not to say that get, get Out is correctly in your face, like the right amount, I think. I, I think that movie is, you know, pretty much impeccable. But I wonder if people just didn't, you know, they they saw this, they had to work a little harder to take away like, a theme and they're like oh i guess it's just regular old horror stuff fun whatever 
And I think that's, I think that's a crucial point that, that I didn't think of yet. You know, I'm going to, I'll give away my, one of my uh, movie comparisons, Mm -hmm. which we can get to later, but you look at this versus something like Parasite. Yeah. Both really emphasize class. Both literally set up a sort of vertically, like it's a vertical visual language in which it sets up these upstairs and downstairs, upper and lower, top and bottom visual motifs to reflect the some of the class themes that they're going for. Both have strong horror elements. Us is probably more of a straight horror, straightforward horror for American audiences and what we're used to. But I think Parasite has a, a such a clear message that it just it you know it powers through, and so peep, there's such a there's an easier takeaway for anyone watching twenty screeners at, at once or watching a bunch of movies and who isn't predisposed to spend an hour yeah. and a half thinking about the complex messages of something, and that's why they love it, right? It's mm-hmm. Parasite hits a nerve and it hits a nerve quickly and over and over and over again. Yeah, and that's what Get Out did. So that that may be that may be partially to explain. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And honestly, we can we can kind of jump we can jump ahead to, uh, you know, we don't have to go in our, our our standard order. I actually find it really interesting to think about Jordan Peele, who is very clearly even even if you didn't ever read anything about him or read any interviews with him or anything like that, you would gather from watching his films that he is a cinephile and that he is someone who is very smart about kind of taking, you know, bits and pieces from, from other filmmakers he really admires and putting his own spin on them and putting that on the screen. So actually I'm, I'm very curious. We, I think we should just go ahead and talk about some of the, the comparisons here. Cause I think a lot of them are in this movie, right? I mean, there's, there's stuff that's very clear, but there's, you know, very clear homages to the shining, like kind of all over this movie. He's got a nice De Palma-esque split diopter shot near the end of the movie. I I always, I think of him, you know, whenever I think about Peel, I think about Steven Spielberg. Like I, that is, that is like the direct link I make, but where, where are you on, on some of the. Did Did you know Duke Nicholson is in this movie? I did not. So Duke Nicholson played, so uh, in, in, the, in the credits for this movie, mm-hmm. they list people, that, you know, for, for most of the actors, they list X slash Y. So for Lupita Nyong'o, it's Adelaide mm-hmm. slash Red, right? It's mm-hmm. the, the normal version, the tether version. So Duke Nicholson, Jack Nicholson's grandson, yeah. plays Danny slash Tony, aka the name of the kid in The Shining and the name of his imaginary friend. Yeah, that's, so, I didn't notice that and that's, amazing you, know, you, you notice <laughs> like you notice like the actual genuine inspirations that's the like wink that's wink fun. homage it's yeah fun. that's the wing wing homage is fun but there's yeah. also the genuine like inspired as a filmmaker type yeah inspiration that gets in there both consciously and and unconsciously mm-hmm. it's it's from watching the stuff admiring the stuff and it's just it, it it's in your veins as you're as you're making a film um yeah. th- so the, there's the obvious I'll go with the, the the less obvious comparison here. I saw a surprising amount of sort of David Lynch in mm-hmm. us the second time around. I, I did not get the first time. And a lot of it is this idea. I mean, us is us is so obviously about the duality of of people, but it it also got me thinking about get out and the way that he presents uh that he often starts his movies 
well, both Get Out and Us, he starts with an inexplicable tragedy that is before in time from the the main action of the movie. And then he cuts hard cut to present day and you have a sort of idyllic family or an idyllic relationship. There's a gorgeous car ride through nature. They're happy. They're everything from the outside is seemingly wonderful. And then you see this sort of like descent into a madness that was already there. And I see a lot of that, like with, in, with David Lynch, you know, the kind of famous opening of Blue Velvet of the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the white picket fences, the green lawns, and then under, you know, what's underneath. Yeah. Um, and that sort of appearances versus reality. And that is obviously mirrored throughout with all of these shots of twins, all of these shots of doubles, you know, the, the amazing overhead shot when they're walking on the beach of their shadows mm-hmm. looming super high above them. Yeah. Um, I, I was surprised. I had not sort of caught on to that or thought of that at all on first watch of us. That's no, that's a, that's a great comp. And I mean, I, you, you say David Lynch and I immediately thought about, Oh, you know, the, the teacups sunken place, stuff from get out has has real kind of lynchian vibes to it even though it's very uh you know completely unique in in its own way and has entered the the zeitgeist kind of on its own uh what what about you did you see i mean you mentioned the shining you mentioned a couple of things but anything anything in particular stand out to you on rewatch yeah I mean, I mean, the one thing that did stand out to me more than anything on rewatch was, as I already mentioned, the very specific, like, split diopter shot, which, you know, I, I, I had noticed, bef- you know, beforehand, but I think I got watched a lot more Brian De Palma since then, and so that that was really in my um, in my mind seeing that here, and and uh, and kind of a fascinating use of of that. The can you, can you describe the shot? And yeah, like, so it, and I'm curious if you think it of it was used in the same sort of way and to evoke the same sort of feelings as as it's been used in De Palma. Yeah, that's a, a great point. So what you have, it's near the end of the film, and you have a confrontation between Red and I think Adelaide is her name, right? The Lupita Nyongos, you know, good character to to put it simply, I suppose. And and you have red in the in the foreground and Adelaide in the background, and you have a very a close up on red's face. But the the it's split in such a way that they're both in focus. But you have kind of this fun like little fuzziness around. You know, you're you're getting both in the frame at once. And you know, I I don't know if I could tell you why they're doing that right like it's it's one of those things where I'm, I'm I think about it and you know there you can point to the the kind of thematic duality and the idea that they're you know if if they're this at that point in the film they've kind of you know come together this is the moment where they're kind of one one entity it's the closest they've been to being one entity they're in the same the same space and it's the the below space there's a lot you can read into it sometimes i wonder if if a filmmaker just says it'd be cool if we did this and i think jordan peele probably has that probably has an idea about what he wants to do uh, thematically but 
but it, it's it's fun to see and it's and it kind of takes you that's the thing with shots like that or, or any sort of kind of bravura technical shot that you don't see that often is it kind of makes you just think about it for a minute it, yep. you're taken aback and say okay why why is this happening like this and i don't know the answer that's the thing that impressed me about peel on rewatch is he he keeps the bravura filmmaking in the holster until he needs it the i particularly i mean the first I guess not quite the first, but the first real thing that stuck out to me as showy was when the four tethered versions of the family all finally get into the house. And there's a long tracking shot that goes from the front door backwards as it follows, I think, the the Winston Duke. And then it circles around because they're all coming from different directions. One of them sneaking in a window, one of them's coming mm-hmm. in the back door, one's going to, right? So it circles around, I think almost twice before they get to the living room and the couch where they end up like establishing themselves. And it's, I mean, it's only 20 to 30 seconds, yeah. but it's, uh, you know, it's one fluid continuous motion. It's both chaotic and very smooth. And what like, what what I noticed was the shot, but also the fact that I hadn't noticed anything before then and I was like he you know he uses them sparingly and therefore uses them to greater effect yeah uh the the one I'll say that I think there's a long stretch where you're right where he's not showing off in that way I do think he does a little bit in the very beginning I think kind of a walk through the sure. uh the fair with the the little girl into the the tunnel is is very striking and and like very well calibrated the colors the lighting are uh really nicely done and all the perspective work of of that is is really fantastic but i mean this movie is filled with yeah go ahead i was gonna say that ends up being you could argue like again purposeful because Mm -hmm. it comes back later because they recreate the entire sequence showing you what it was like as the tethered so you need to have like a memory of that opening sequence i mean they flash between them but they you need to have a memory of it to have the comparison and that i mean the the stuff we get down there (sighs) and this is i mean and again this is where you start getting into the stuff that you know if you think about it too hard you're kind of like wait a minute like does this make sense i watched it with um i watched with marissa my my fiance and you know she had a lot of questions like how why do they have the same clothes as how how they get them to wear the same clothes is up above. And is there a tethered for everybody or just some people? And how did they get to Santa Cruz so quickly if they drove above? Yeah. There, yeah. there's a lot of questions. And I was like, you know, kind of poop. I was waving. I'm like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Duh. <laughs> doesn't really matter. It's science. It's, it's science fiction science. You trust. Um, you trust. Yeah. It's and, the, like I trust in Peel enough to suspend my disbelief. Yeah. And this is where if you're really like, you know, this thing's got to be air. This thing seems airtight. What are we going to get? Then like, yeah, I could see being a little disappointed because like it doesn't all make sense, but it's vibes and it works in the movie is in this kind of weird because all the stuff underground exists in this kind of weird liminal space. And it's like part memory and part, you know, dream. There's a lot there that you can kind of, I'm, I'm very good at explaining away inconsistencies in movies that I like. So that's what I'm doing here. But, but that sequence is visually and technically, I mean, it's stunning. And the, the, where 
Adelaide and Red are like fighting and they're intercutting with the kind of dancing and the ballet from the, the little girl and the kind of flashbacks is like, it, it, it's stunning stuff. It is fantastic. It is like, you cannot take your eyes away from, from the screen. Uh, and, and the rest of it, you know, it, it doesn't matter as much when you, when you have someone showing us that and it's that good. You also have the, I mean, the other person he's often compared to is Hitchcock, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, I, I was thinking about that a bit on rewatch and I was thinking about the connections between us and get out. And one thing, I so first of all, in, 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 in us, one thing I really appreciated that he did is he, two things. One, he sets up tension and dispatches it quickly. If it needs to be dispatched quickly, the example I'll give is in that opening sequence when Adelaide, young Adelaide, her mom goes to the bathroom and she tells her father, played by Yaya Abdul Mateen, to watch her. And he Seriously, is, I did not remember he was in I this movie and it was very it had, it had I had definitely forgotten as well. Yeah. And like I had to look closely too, because mm-hmm. you, you don't get like a full head-on version until until late. But um so you know, you know as an audience member, you know immediately he's gonna lose his daughter. He, they've set him up as, you know, somewhat of a lax father. He's drinking. He's not paying a ton of attention. You know this immediately. The worst version of this movie, 95% of the versions of this movie, would have him almost lose her two times. And then the third time, he'd actually lose her. And yeah. the entire time, we as an audience would know he loses her. And they would think that, like, that is tension. And for this, and in this, like, in, in Jordan Peele's version, he just immediately, she walks away. Once the audience knows something is going to happen, he gives it to us almost immediately versus when she walks into the vision quest, which mm-hmm. later on is a uh, less offensive version of a hall of mirrors to show us that time has passed. A nice Merlin instead. Yeah, much, yeah, much, yeah, it's a Merlin, better. much better. We don't know what's going to happen there. And so he, and he, so he lets it linger. He extends it out. And I thought that was like, that was a very impressive, whenever I think of Hitchcock, I think of just a master of tension. And in that way, I was again, very impressed on rewatch. But the second way that seemed to more directly invoke both Get Out and Hitchcock to me was the extent to which he enjoyed, he shows us things right away and then lets us revel in how scary they are. Mm -hmm. I was so surprised by how quickly he just snap cut to the family standing outside. Yeah. And then we spend a good 10 minutes with that family just fucking standing there. And it's terrifying. And you can see them. There's a light shine. I mean, it's like a backlight, so you can't see their faces, but you can see them. And, you know, it's like it's like in Get Out. What's terrifying is what you know, what you see right in front of you. And, it, you know, it reminds me of something like, oh, what's the Hitchcock? Strangers on a Train. Mm-hmm. This guy tells him right away what he wants to do fairly early on in the movie and it's you're just in your gobsmack for the next like 15 minutes trying to figure out like how screwed up this guy is and it's that sort of like it's it, you know he doesn't rely on jump scares all the time he can use them he can use them effectively yeah but he builds tension so so slowly and so effectively that uh it, it impressed me a lot on rewatch no he can he can make it work he can make horror work in kind of all its facets which i think is really impressive he's incredibly versatile in the genre he can do kind of the lay it all out at the beginning he can do he can draw it out he can use jump scares he can you know 
have stuff be scary in the dark. He can have a like terrifying scene like in the sun, like all which is personally my favorite horror. I love when horror stuff happens in the day. I find that because it so often and partially, I mean, this movie is shot very well, but sometimes you get a lot of horror movies and they're all shot. They all take place at night and you're in the theater and you're like, I, I can't tell what is happening in this movie because it's all so dark. And that maybe, you know, that's not a projection issue or it's something else. Uh, you know, you can't put that all on the cinematographers a lot of the time. But this movie, I mean, it, it looks great regardless of kind of where, what setting it is in, whether it's in the day or the night or in a house or outside. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just... Peel seems like he can do it all, I think. And there's not a lot of guys out there like that. No. Is there anything you didn't like in us, especially on rewatch? I mean, it, it's kind of like we talked about. Like, I'm I'm willing to forgive a lot of the kind of logistical whatever. But I think it I think it bites off probably a little more than it can chew. And you don't quite get the, you know, with the film like Get Out, as much as I, you know, I, I kind of maligned the Academy doing the same thing. There is something where, you know, you, you don't get that, you don't leave the theater with kind of that like, aha, like it all clicked into place moment in the same way. Like I'm thinking about this movie a lot after I'm done watching it. And that's a good thing in some ways. But, you know, I've seen this movie a couple of times. And I've thought about it a lot. And I still don't really, the, the like hands across America thing, I like kind of get, you know, but it's, uh, I, I still can't quite figure out what the deal is with that. Maybe part of that's because, uh, you know, I wasn't alive in the 80s and I've had to, I had to learn about what hands across America was, but it, it's mostly, yeah, I mean, there, there's something slightly less satisfying about it just because yes perhaps it's bitten off its ambition is a little high but i mean i'm i'm like searching for things to not like right like i i enjoy a messy ambitious swing sure yeah yeah Where, i don't i don't mind all that stuff all that much yeah there's a, yeah there's enough you can like it's the type of situation if i like the movie like i can come up with a bunch of interesting takes on like what it meant, what he was doing, and which is that's fun. Always fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I did not like. I mean, like he does, like you know, Red gives the like five minute explanation of what's going on. It all comes at the end. Mm -hmm. That disappointed me a little. I wanted, like, I want you get you get it in pieces for the first forty five minutes. You know, yeah. they don't show the tether. Don't show up until like 37 minutes in or something. Mm -hmm. Nothing really scary has happened except for to the little girl in the in the prologue. Yeah. For for 40 minutes into the movie, right? And then and then it stops with that sort of development of some of those themes and then restarts an hour later and just has red explain it all. Mm -hmm. So that sort of bummed me out, but it's immediately followed by that sick reprise of uh right of, of i got fives to the like ballet fight or the, yeah. the dancing fight which is just sensational so I, yeah. I i forgot about it quickly the thing that really didn't work for me on rewatch was the middle segment gets a little dull for me i mean the mm. from after they all sit down on the couch which is just such a harrowing 
you know, eyes glued to the TV scene when Red is talks for the first time. Yeah. And then they split up and it, it's great. I love the way they split up and go one-on-one with their adversaries. I love the way they're all slightly different. You know, just mm-hmm. a few years has turned Zora or tethered Zora really violent compared yeah. to her younger brother. But then it just starts to get repetitive and people are dead and then they're not dead and they're still alive and you still have to kill them. And it happens like two or three times. And it, I get that's a little bit of a horror staple, but it, it just, it felt a little bit dull at times to me. And then I really couldn't stand the scene in the house with Elizabeth Moss and I think Tim Heidecker. Yeah. Is that, is. yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Um, when they play good vibration, like that has become such a horror cliche to have like a violent death scene over like a really positive song. And so sure. when they get killed to good vibrations and it's like really drawn out, like they have like a good three minutes where they're hanging out in the house before, and you know, they're going to get killed and you're just, I found that to be a little disappointing, but I'm That's also fair. searching for stuff. Yeah. I, I love that scene. I think it's really funny. The good vibration thing I I get, I do think the button on that where she tries to get it to call the police and then it plays fuck the police. Fantastic. Is so funny. The other thing, the maybe my favorite moment in this movie is when the like the the thing that the tethered Tim Heidecker does is he does like the hand out to pull to pull up like dying Elizabeth Moss and then does the like too slow hair which is funny. with like this weird smile which I think is really really funny yeah, um funny. but I get th- this is something I actually hadn't quite remembered because I think in a typical horror movie when you have this many people when you have all these people split up you would have a fake out and in my head I'd kind of remembered that like the Winston Duke character uh, we weren't going to see him for a while. Like he was going to get kind of like taken off and then he would like show back up. And I think that's what happens in a lot of horror movies is like they dispatch of their thing, like one character or a couple characters dispatch of their thing off screen. And that is very cliche. I find where you like kind of think they're dead and then they come back uh, cause they, they dealt with it. And this doesn't do that. It gives every member of the family like a thing to do, which I like, but you're right that it does make everything a little long i think it, but you know like you said i think it's paced pretty well and yeah the, I, I don't think there's a lot to this movie rocks like i had so much fun watching it and yeah i mean immediately after the good vibration scene i don't love you have the two kids just like kicking complete ass against the twins the, and the that gymnast family, which I love. The, like, twins. Car- yeah the gymnast twins which is amazing you also have what my favorite single moment of the movie is which is when they have their kill count debate which i yes. thought is such like that could easily flop horribly but it's, it's just, so it, funny it's so so funny oh my god i love so hard um, speaking of laughing i mean everything winston duke says in this movie is the yeah. funniest thing in the world he when he makes his voice me. deep when he yes. gets, he, like, he lowers his voice an octave to try to threaten the tethered family. Oh my god, incredible! He's so He's funny, so good. And he does this, you know, his first two movies. I mean, you have Daniel Kaluuya, who had, you know, he was in Skins, the but really TV broke out, show, yeah. and and you know was in a couple movies, but real era he was in Sicario, I guess, but really broke out with that. Yaya Abdul Mateen, who mm-hmm. had been in very little up to that point. Then, you know, since then he's in, he was in Watchmen, but now he's going to be in the upcoming Candyman. 
And he was and, an Aquaman. Don't forget. Right, okay. Never sure. forget. Very true. And then Winston Duke, who yeah. granted had been in Black Panther, but not in a one supporting of the main role. It was role, a, yes. you know, it was a supporting role. And you don't see that as much without I feel like we, we should talk about Nope. Yes. Is that his upcoming third film, which I'm very excited about. Just got a title like a month ago. And I just can't there. handle when I first saw it's that. Funny. It's so funny. It's very funny. If you haven't seen it, the, the poster is is just a a cloud with kind of like a little kite string or something over this mountain town, kind of a, mm-hmm. a bluish tent night. Uh, you've got your three stars, Danny Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Steven Yun. And then it just says in big block letters, nope. And that is the title of the movie. Which I'm very interested how much of that is a little bit leaning into his reputation. Yes. Which I think it is. Because so many times during his, I mean, you could almost imagine it as, I don't think it is this, because I don't think Peel would do this at this point, but maybe. You can almost imagine it as a horror satire. Yes. Because how many times have you been in a horror movie and a character goes to do something and someone in the audience just yells, nope, mm-hmm. no, and it's like, like that just, I mean, that is a very common refrain, especially in like Jordan Peele movies. Yeah. Like, but, um, but none of his, I mean, Kiki Palmer, maybe you could make the argument that she is of the level of like a Kaluuya or Winston Duke. I think obviously Kaluuya is bigger now and Steven Yoon, I think is a little bit bigger. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit bigger than any of those guys when they first showed up in in a Peel so, movie, but he's also you know he's a third time director now. Maybe he, it's it's always I'm interested in how much of it is knee is necessity. You know he can't afford to pay someone who who demands a higher yeah. salary, and how much of it is like he wants to do that. He wants someone who a he can use this opportunity to take a really talented person and give them more attention, and b you don't want the audience for you know, especially with get out, you don't want the audience bringing their, all of their baggage mm-hmm. with a, 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 a pre-established star yeah. into the movie. You want that character to be relatively fresh for people. But yeah. yeah. What, what do you think of Nope so far? I mean, don't know a lot. we don't know anything about it, but I'm very, ex- I, all three of those actors I love. Oh, fantastic. And I'm very excited about that. I mean, yeah, he's a guy, anything, anything, you know, Peel does, I'm going to see, I'm going to see day one. Yeah, it's just icing on the cake that it's got Kuya Palmer and Steven Yeun, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll be there, right? It's it's very exciting. But here's like kind of my well, what well, what I have a follow up, but what but what what are what are your thoughts here? I'm same as you. I my I am curious if there's anyone right now who's higher than Peel as a director in terms of like get you there day one, or if he's sort of in the top tier with a couple other folks. It's like Nolan. And maybe Villeneuve, man, maybe, maybe for like us, I think. And by us, I do mean you and me uh, <laughs> this time. I, I think it's like for like regular moviegoers, it's Nolan and, and probably Jordan Beale. Yeah. To the extent that people know the names of directors who are not like obsessively following right. this stuff, who directors who have their own brand. And it's also like someone like Villeneuve is tough because his last two have been huge properties. So yeah. It's hard to separate that out. Like Peel and Nolan are, are guys that obviously, Batman, uh, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy accepted are doing original stories in yeah. a world where very few people are doing exclusively original stories. Right. And they are, I, I think, yeah, it's actually 
Noltex are very under comparison because he is probably, you know, him and Peel, they are probably the ones you would think of when you say, okay, these are people who are making like original stuff, but you know, like kind of what to expect in that you don't know what to expect, but you do, right? Like, you, you know you, the vibe to expect. Exactly. You know not to try to guess at what the fuck's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, this does bring me, I was, uh, I was watching like a couple of the special features on, on the Us Blu-ray. And at one point, you know, and these are just kind of sizzle real stuff, but Jordan Peele talks about, he's kind of talking about horror and, and, and how much he loves working in it. And, and he says, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to be, you know, straying away from horror anytime soon. And, and that like made me think for a minute, whether when, and if we think he might be, what his pivot might be, or if he's not going to have one, right? Like is, is this kind of, we just talked about like kind of what the Jordan Peele movie is the same way as, you know, like, I mean, Christopher Nolan is, we, we talked about Spielberg for instance. Maybe this is a good comparison. Like, neither Nolan or Peele, it's not like we see them making Lincoln anytime soon, right? But but I'm curious where where we think Peele goes. Do we think he's just going to be a guy who works in basically this vein his whole career? Or is he going to take a prestige turn? Is he going to maybe get an even bigger budget is he going to be a guy who is he going to make a star wars or something i don't know what's what do we think the deal is with him i think he's been offered almost every franchise at this point he must have been he he must have been and he has the other thing is like he's he's not sitting but like he has his own production company Mm -hmm. monkey paw is like fairly active he's taking a role in producing he is even, you know, taking a role in writing outside of movies he directs, although I don't see that as like a real long-term thing. Um, and so solely just based on how hot he was and how many franchises have had new movies since 17 that he must have, must have, must have been at least approached about. And if he asked for one, they'd probably he would give him give, one. Yes, yes. If he like went to Kathleen Kennedy and was like, hey, can I do <laughs> right. a Star Wars? They'd She'd probably want be like, to do sure, a we have like 13. <laughs> we, have, we gave Taika Waititi a trilogy and nobody even knows where Ryan Johnson a trilogy and it's not even whatever. I don't you can even... you can have the ones the the Game of Thrones guys right. aren't yeah, doing. You have been, yeah. So here's I, I find it easy. So part part of this is also wishful thinking that I would love for him to not take a franchise and to keep mm-hmm. doing what he's doing. Totally. In terms of evolution, I find it easier to think about other similar directors or not similar but other genre directors who have stayed within the genre for the most part but explored all the cracks and crevices from within i think about something like hitchcock and rebecca i mean rebecca came actually pretty early in his Mm -hmm. made a very long career but it came in i think the early 40s and you know he was making films like psycho and north by northwest and vertigo in the late 50s early 60s 20 years later so but nonetheless you know i could see him going you know, gothic horror or, you know, gothic thriller. Yeah. Or on the other side, and I like, I think I like this actually more, someone like David Cronenberg. Mm. I could see Peele mm-hmm. making an Eastern Promises. History or, of violence. You know, history of violence, especially. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I'll take him at his word that he's not going to stray far from horror. It's just, you can use the, the, the genre 
it's such a big tent genre and it hasn't always been seen that way, but it is. And you can use it to do so mm-hmm. much and you can experience so much from within that I just don't think he has to, to be creatively fulfilled. I don't think he has to leave horror for like a while. Yeah. And he clearly loves doing it. So why wouldn't yeah. he? I assume he'll do Saw 20. That'll be like his, his capstone horror film, Saw XX. Or maybe he'll fun. wait for Saw Triple X. That'd be fun. You know. We're going to have to start pumping out more Saw movies then. We were we were doing so well, but the pace no, is be, really slow. It'll be down. 80 year old Peel doing, doing Saw XXX. The, the Clint, his Clint Eastwood yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> that phase. Yeah. It'll put sure. himself in the movie. It'll, it'll be an 80 year old Key and Peel, basically two hour long horror sketch. Yes. Perfect. No. I mean, some no, studio I, would sign off on that. That sounds great. I'm, I've, I wouldn't, do you, do you think, do you think Keegan is, is going to get to be in a, in a Jordan Peele movie? I, oh, that's a question I haven't thought. I was thought, I was thinking today about like, I like, you know, is their relationship strained by Peele's success or does Keegan does like not it. want to direct? Like, you know, he may just not have the same dreams. Most, I, I mean, think he's an he actor wants, and a comedian. Yes. He wants I think to he be wants, an actor. I think he wants to act. I think he wants to be in musicals as evidenced by the prom. And we just watched a schmigadoon, which he's quite funny in the, the kind of musical forties, musical send up TV show. But yeah, it seems like that's not really, I think he just wants to act and he's clearly, he gets work. Yeah. Um, and you know, they've done voice. They were in toy story, right. Uh, four in a small role together. Yeah. Yeah. And they're in this new, I just, I was just looking this up. They are the voice leads in a new Henry Selleck stop motion movie that's coming in yes. a couple of years. This Horror Wendell comedy. and Wild. Yeah. Yeah. It they looks great. It too. Yeah, exactly. With it's yeah, like so a story, story by Selleck. And then they, they came on to do the, the screenwriting work, but yes, they clearly must be, but it is, it's a, I wonder, I wonder if, uh, I mean, maybe he just has integrity to the casting process and, and, yeah, or he I just hasn't been the right role. His own reputation, like wait until yeah. the fourth, fifth movie, because you, I mean, you know, he it was, it was a hard move. He was yeah. wildly successful very quickly, going from someone who is known for like stupid sketch comedy, good, mm-hmm. funny, but stuff that a lot of people don't take seriously, to being an Oscar-nominated writer and his movie nominated for Best Picture, like that is well, really hard to do. So everything you can do to not remind people of your past iteration of yourself, yeah, that they knew is going to help you. Well, it's so what the year before Keanu is the year before Get Out, yeah. and obviously he and 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 Kikmo, he wrote, uh, you know, co-wrote that, um, I believe, and and they they star in it or maybe i guess oh, that's a peel kikamaki does not have a writing credit on keanu so yeah that that was you know a year before and then suddenly it's get out and and it's a uh, it's off to the races but yeah i've got a question for you why yeah. why don't red and at like why doesn't red bring up the fact that adelaide swapped with her like she's got her f- whole family there captive audience just snitch. She's like, yo, you shouldn't be married to me. She lied to you. She's she's tethered version. She's like, it just doesn't come up. It doesn't come and up. It feels like it would come up. She's been waiting a very long time. None of them wonder why she can talk and no one else can talk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, sure. That's a good question. You know, maybe, maybe the read on it I could come up with is that her brain's a little broken. She like kind of gets what she's doing, but doesn't like fully comprehend the switch. Um, and, and maybe why she, she hates these people, but the answer is if she brought that up then, then how would you reveal it in the third act? That is the answer. That is a good answer. (laughs) Question two, who is doing the best outside of Lupita? Who's doing the best tethered act, like tethered, untethered combo acting? It is, um, I got to look up her name. It's the daughter for it me. Is, it is. Yeah, she's, she's so good to, as the so version. Uh, Sh- Shahadi Wright Joseph yeah. playing Zora. I fully and agree. Umbra. Otherwise, I give some credit for the Tim Heidecker moment that you mentioned. Oh, but, but yeah. Yes. And, you know, in Elizabeth, we, we did have a big conversation in, in my household during the Elizabeth Moss like tethered putting on makeup scene yeah. that if we're going to make a million Joker movies, why don't we give Elizabeth Moss one of them? If one person is going to play the Joker, it should probably be her. Yeah. I like that. I like that quite a bit. You got any, got any burning questions after rewatching this? No, I mean, all my questions were answered by the film. It was, uh, wow. It was, yeah, it all made sense. Nice and tiny advertisement for the movie. <laughs> That's really nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't have a ton. I don't have any. I don't have any fun hypos. To, do you have any you want to throw at? There are less hypos and more just like burning questions. Like, sure. Well, I guess this can be a hypo. I'll turn it into a hypo. If you get attacked with your family by doppelgangers of you, and then you kill them all or escape them, do you go over to your friend's house after? You're at your lake house. Yeah. Do we do we go over and to your like see lake house? If people are house? okay. Are is that what they're doing? Or do they just want to hide there? Yeah, it's or not like, clear to me. It just feels like yeah. they should leave town and go back home where they came from to their home that is safe. Remind me, they do not. Is it mentioned why they don't call the police? Is that a discuss element? I don't remember. No you mean like after all of it like in the middle of the night like after so, Dave so she tries to call 911 this is the whole my other my one of my other burning questions is like was all of the marriage there was like haphazard marriage tension where he didn't believe her and then at one point she's yeah. like you don't get to make the decisions anymore and I'm like oh there's some real underlying but tension like, in this marriage although that was interesting because that was not explored then as attention he was just like okay no yes correct which that was cool i I thought it was yeah but um uh or yes early on when the family's first there she's calling 911 and he's like don't call 911 that's ridiculous but they do call because then she's like they're 14 minutes away it's like well yeah you're in like a rural or well i guess you're in like a cabin i guess you're in santa cruz like yeah but um but yes so they call but he's he's very skeptical early on that they need to be going to cops he thinks she's overreacting that's right i don't know the cops got tethered killed i don't know who knows uh the answer is yeah i just i try to get as far away as possible probably yeah yeah same sorry to my friends are probably dead they're really barely friends they seem like 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 friends yeah the worst like 
I really, there was a great, there was a lot that happened in this movie that like, if you're watching it for the first time, it has a clear explanation. And then mm-hmm. on rewatch, you're like, oh, there is another explanation that I didn't realize. Yeah. So like, I mean, when she first doesn't want to go back to the beach, you think, oh, it's because it, she had trauma there and not like she doesn't want to get dragged back to the uh, the underneath, mm-hmm. whatever. But also, you know, like when she didn't talk as a kid, it was like, yeah. oh, because she was traumatized. Like, no, because she doesn't know how to talk. Didn't know how to talk. Um, but in that when they first when they first go to the beach with that other family and she's just like, oh, I'm not good at talk- uh, small talk. I'm not good at talking. I- on, on first watch, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she just hates Elizabeth Moss's character. I get that. To be fair, I think she, 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 doesn't she does hate Elizabeth <laughs> yes, Moss's character. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, but they don't, they don't like really seem to get along. The kids don't like the kids. The women don't get along. And Winston Duke is just jealous of yeah. Tim Heidecker's car. So. Yeah, and his boat. Like, I, they can't have that much concern for them. Yeah. The movie Nope. Mm-hmm. Jesse Plemons was off turned down a role in yeah. favor of Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese's next movie. Mm-hmm. Do you think he was supposed... You think he was one of the three roles that are are now cast? Like, Do you think he was the Steven Yeun role? Or do you think he was a fourth, fifth, whatever person? I feel I can't, like, corroborate this. I mean, I can try to look it up. Whatever. I feel like when I read about that, the implication was that Steven Yeun was coming on to replace... Okay. Plemons. Yes, but Plemons. I don't know if that's true. It's really not not a loss at all. No, I mean, that's... I like Plemons a lot, but, like, that's great. Yeah. It's, at worst, a lateral move. And, and yeah, honestly, probably, uh, I, I, I want to, like... I, I do love Jesse Plemons, but Stephen Yoon... I mean, he's... Sh- I think he's shown more range for a movie like this. hmm I yeah. do love Plemons, but... He, Plemons is... He's got a lot of good Plemons stuff. might be on. funnier. Plemons yes. might have brought a bit more of like the off-kilter comedy to the role from, yeah. from what we've seen. But uh, maybe it was something different. I'm like looking here. Plemons turned down a role, and then they announced later that Yoon joined. Who knows? Yeah. Either way, I'm very excited. Michael Abels is doing the score again. I read that um his guy. That yeah, I read that Peel was probably going to partner with him again on us after get out. And then reportedly Steven Spielberg told him he had to partner with him. He told him he remind, he enables reminded him of him and John Williams. He said Mm. that's that partnership is, you know, that's a lifelong partnership. Wow. I would love because I mean, what a compliment to Michael Abel. It's like, what what a freaking compliment. (laughs) But that's, that's exciting to me because the the music, the music is not only such an important part, but the sound in general, the sound you know, of that opening sequence, you were talking yeah. about the visuals, but also like the sound of mm-hmm. all of the, the noises from the, whatever the boardwalk carnival, yeah. whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. While also being able to hear her, you're hearing the parents talk, but from her perspective, yeah. a little bit removed while also hearing the people, kids screaming, Carney's yelling, you know, it's, it's, it's and then all of a sudden it goes silent as she gets off the boardwalk and onto the beach. It's very, very, uh, and the, you know, the whistling later on is like very haunting. It's, it's really good soundscape. It's, it's in- incredibly technically savvy. I, I really, I like it. I like it a lot. So good movie. Great movie. We love it. We love us. Should we categorize Jordan Peele? Yeah, let's, let's do it. You got something for us? 
I feel like I know where you're going. Yeah. Because you already, you made the, well, I, I won't guess. I'll just get, I'm torn between two. One is genre royalty for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And my pitch here, because the other is entertainer, and I'll maybe let you speak to that if you, yeah. if you want to go to bat for it. Because okay. I do things, his films are, I mean, he clearly cares about his audiences having a good time. Yeah. That's also why, you side note, I think that's part of why, you know, the people who took the wrong message from Get Out and quote unquote elevated horror are the people who put the message or the social part of it first. Yeah. And Jordan Peele, like, that's why it's so effective because he he doesn't do that. He prioritizes, like, the horror aspect, the filmmaking aspect of it, and that makes it more impactful. Anyway, genre royalty, obviously, he has literally made two horror movies and he is making a third. He wrote a a horror stop-motion animated film, as you just mentioned. But everything else he's done is also comedy. All of his horror movies have comedy in them. We have talked about the extremely funny moments in Us. The Some of the longest-lasting moments from Get Out are like the the, the third term for Obama line. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I mean, the th- stuff people remember from his movies are the funny moments and the, the terrifying moments, the sunken place. The, mm. And before his career as a director, you know, he wrote Keanu, comedy. He was a, you know, first and foremost, a sketch, sketch comic. comic. Yeah. So he is clearly like comedy, horror, two sides of the same coin to a certain extent for him and, and both genre. And so I think whatever he's doing, whatever he's trying to say, he funnels it through genre. He finds that to be the most interesting way to tell stories. And I have a tough time seeing him doing something that's just, you know, completely devoid of those aspects. And like you said, he's inspired by other filmmakers and he, is inspired by like genre filmmakers, you know, Kubrick, but it's the shining. It's not, you know, yeah. Barry Lyndon. Sure. No, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree at all. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, as you alluded to, I would maybe the other one I would really think about other than, than, than genre royalty, which I do think is, you know, maybe the place, um, is I think of him as kind of the next uh, Spielberg in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, we Spielbergers are kind of apex entertainer, as I recall. And uh, I mean, Peel just seems he wants people to have a good time at the movies. And whether that means they're laughing or they're getting scared or they're, you know, thinking and puzzling out things he he can do all of that and he makes the move and maybe this is where it really comes in he makes movies that have people that like get people talking on their way out of the theater in a way that like a lot of folks don't so that's i mean that's it people they take it with them they have a great time like these are movies that you know the theaters are like the energy is just electric in in his movies but, I could, but really, I mean, I could go I could go either way. Before we decide, something you said reminded me. We didn't talk about the comparison between Peel and M. Night Shyamalan. And, you know, the, the one obvious comparison is the way he had this, like, very exposition-heavy twist right at the end. Mm-hmm. But the way you talked about how he gets people talking coming out of the theater, the way you talked earlier about how you both know what you're getting and you have no idea what you're getting when you walk into a Peel movie, that is very Shyamalan-y. Mm-hmm. And 
there's like a, a very strong, I think, a very interesting comparison there. Yeah. And also, so it's, I don't want to quite say it's a worrying one, but you know, if you look at Shyamalan's career, like the first is still considered by most people to be the masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, Signs, which did come third, but not sec. You know, it came third, I believe. And it's a movie that like kind of starts to fall apart at the end. Yeah. And the ending is also like, it's where you start to like with hindsight after his fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh movies, you start to say, oh, is that's, that's a, uh, you know, that's a, a bit foreboding for what's to come. Yeah. Obviously you, you hope, and, and I really don't think that's the case with Peel, but it's, you're only two films in. It's easy. It's, it's interesting to start making these comparisons and see how they either follow a similar trajectory or completely diverge. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's right. And maybe the, maybe the same grade. I mean, the thing people forget about sixes was i think actually his like third movie or something like right. that. he had like a couple that you know but you, you talk about kind of his first movie that hit there's a lot of these guys who like no one remembers their their first couple of movies because they have a hit and then it's kind of their breakout and then like it kind of goes downhill and Shyamalan's great we love we love him here but yeah I, there, there are a lot of strengths the stuff that stays i think both Shyamalan and peel are really really good visual storytellers and like really technically impressive filmmakers um and that's the thing that i think people kind of forget about Shyamalan sometimes because yes he has like trouble with his scripts every now and again now often for a stretch but but he he's a he knows how to place a camera and, and i think peel does too and so that's that's always the thing you can kind of fall back on yes. uh, to a certain extent so Peel is also, I just looked it up, he's he was 10 years older than Shyamalan when they made their first, when Six Sense yeah. versus Get Out. 29 yeah, yeah. compared to 39, which I do think makes a big difference in not letting it go straight to your head and not uh, making some of those early career mistakes. All right, uh, what category are we going with? Let's go with, let's, let's go with genre, genre royalty for now and we've made the exception right okay yeah that we're doing him we're doing him early so we're going to give him genre royalty but with a little pen next to it and we reserve the right to like like come back and do do another jordan peele episode somewhere down the road and recategorize him if we want that's smart after nope after nope or what nope is after after a couple more movies, perhaps. Do we think it's a sequel to the Jim Carrey Yes Man? That's a good question. No, maybe. Jesse Plemons was going to play... Jim Carrey? A, a young... An old, old Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey. <laughs> Both young and old Jim Carrey. Yeah. Jesse Plemons is no age and all ages at once. I was going to say, I feel like Jesse Plemons looks older than Jim Carrey did in that movie, which was... Not that long ago, but Carrie's a guy who, like, all of a sudden got really old really fast. Yeah, yeah. He left public eye for a bit and then came back. He did. Aged. He was doing his weird paintings or whatever. Weird, weird guy. All these people, very weird. Sure. All right, are we doing the letterbox game? Are we bringing it back? Yeah, I think we should. So, as a reminder to everyone who maybe hasn't listened for a little while, each of us is going to pick one actor or crew member from us. And the other one is going to have to guess that actor or crew member's top three highest rated feature films on Letterboxd. 
So no TV, no unreleased movies. Us doesn't count. And we also like to just skip the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it kind of bogs things up. And we will give hints if the guesser gets stumped. All right, Zach, who do you have for me? We're going to do the producer of Us, Jason Blum. Jason Blum of Blumhouse. Yes. And this is tricky because it's his highest rated films as a producer. As a producer. Okay. And we're not counting us. I do believe, though, that he produced Get Out as well. So I will guess Get Out. That is correct. He did produce Get Out. Get Out is number three rating overall. Oh, my God. Oh, wait. Sorry. I sorted by the wrong thing. I was like, it can't be behind us. Get Out is number two. Oh, okay. Apparently, he also produced Sharp Objects, the TV show. Obviously, Hmm. that does not count. But uh, number two eligible Get Out. Okay. And what's it? With a 4.2. He's produced a surprising amount of television. Hmm. Okay. While you're thinking, Jason Blum produced The Jinx, the uh, Robert Durst murder story, Mm -hmm. The Good Good Lord Bird Mm -hmm. with Ethan Hawke. He produced the, well, I guess that's sort of a, TV movie or TV miniseries, The Loudest Voice. Yeah. Russell Crowe plays Roger Ailes. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Huh. Okay. Um the the Invisible Man will be my guess. The Invisible Man is not in the top three, sorting through the sort of you know eligible and yeah. non- eligible projects but you know wolfman and halloween ends are above it and they have not come out and will not come out for sure (laughs) okay but um no it's i would say it's sixth or seventh eligible okay at a 3.6 so surprisingly low yeah i'm trying to think what's the movie that jason blum produced that's above a what? Would you say Get Out was a 4.2? 4.2, yes. I'm trying to think if there's something he produced that like I didn't realize. Did he produce... He didn't produce Parasite, did he? He did not. Okay. I'll give you a hint here yeah. for the number one and the number... Well, number one. Okay. You gave four and a half stars. Okay. I gave four and a half stars. Okay. Sarah gave four and a half stars. Oh, this is a real. Everyone getting, this, this getting movie in on got the, higher than a four point two based on that very small sample size. Getting in on the action, man. This is producers, not not easy. Okay, no, it's t- it's tough to. <laughs> I figured this might be a little bit challenging. Um, his the number three movie. Mm-hmm. You gave. You want to guess? Four and a half stars. You got it. You got it. <laughs> uh, Big fan. Okay. Both these movies. Yeah, clearly. Can I? Can I ask a clear? Uh, I'll do. I'll just guess something, and then I'll get okay. another. I'll get you another can ask question. a clarifying if you want. Well, no, it's not a clarifying. It's like an actual question. So okay. okay. All right. <laughs> it's like a real question. Okay. 
Did he produce Gone Girl? Oh, that's a fun, wrong guess. Sure. He totally would have, though. Right. I, I see that. Yeah, that's good. You're you're not in the you're not in a completely wrong place. All right. What's your question? I want to ask whether whether I need to like get out of like the genre. Yes, I would zone. do that. Okay. One of them, you. I mean, look, I don't know what you know. Yeah. One of them, you. I would say probably know. And there's a there's a good connection that will help you with some stuff you've already named. Some stuff I've already named. Did he? Did he produce? Did he produce Black Klansmen? Yes, he did. Okay. Number three. Okay. Well, I knew Peel. Yes, that's was, what that was. Yeah. A producer on that. Yeah, okay. he produced Black Klansman. That's his number three. I always forget that movie is rated pretty high. I think deservedly. But is it three is it three point nine? Okay, yeah. Good movie. So now his oh number God. one. This is this is I mean, this is tough. I don't it's the type of movie where when I saw he produced it, I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. But I don't know that I could have pulled it or even even knew. Oh, no. OK. I know. Not not super. When I saw it, I was like, oh, he can definitely get this. OK. But it has a 4.4. 4. It was nominated for Best Picture. A four, it has a 4.4 4 on Letterboxd? That is, that would be, I feel like, among the highest movies. It's among the highest. It's also, you know, it's a very letterbox crowd movie. For sure. So, I mean, I dug it. I was clearly in that, in that contingent. Is it a movie that, you know, despite giving it a 4.5, I would be a little miffed that it's, you know, one of the five highest rated movies on Letterboxd. Okay, I don't think it's quite one of the five highest rated 4.4? It's probably one of the 10. No. Like actual Look, movies. Let's see. 20. Let me go. Let me go to 25. I I don't think you'd be miffed. Mm-hmm. I think you might be a little surprised. I don't think it's considered canon. Yeah. Yet. Uh, maybe by some people. I like qu- pure quality wise, I think you'd be like, okay. Yeah. But I still think you'd be a little like, oh. So. Okay. I think it's a very good movie. That we all like. Best picture nomination. Oh yeah, no, look at that. Wow, this movie is rated really high. So it it is the highest rated movie of its of its year, right behind One Direction, where we are, the concert film. Oh, you're giving me a hint if I can yeah, only figure yeah. out when <laughs> that movie came out. You know. But yeah, it's the highest rated like narrative feature film of its year. And it's point point two ahead of the closest competitor, which is Mommy. Okay. Which is a, a little bit of a clue, but not not a full on one. If only I could. He didn't produce like Moonlight, did he? He did not. Okay. All right, I'm gonna need something else. I'm, Moonlight I'm has a lower rating than this movie. This movie's rated so high. Okay, now I'm starting to think this is a little crazy. All right, give me give me something else. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, this movie won an acting Oscar. Marriage Story. 
main character. Mm, let's see. There are two characters. I'm going to give you one of their names. Terrence Fletcher is one of the two main characters. Oh, Whiplash. That you got it from Terrence Fletcher, isn't that uh, J.K. Simmons? I mean, yeah, I'm just name? that's a that's good that's good recall. <laughs> Andrew Neiman is uh, Miles Teller's name. I don't know if that would have got you there. Too. I think that might not have gotten me there. Oh, but darn the Fletcher, it! I yeah, really I thought picked the I wrong thought one. Fletcher was more like, eh, whatever. That's just a. They're both kind of like blah names, but yeah, yeah. Whiplash four point four. <sighs> that is a movie that Letterbox would think yeah. is though. Yeah. A good movie, but now a little right. miffed. It's a very good movie, but you are um, okay. All right, all right. You got someone for me? Yes, I do. You are going to do Lupita Nyong'o. Now, her highest, her second highest. Now, there's like a lot of stuff going on here. You have to cut out a couple. You've got a, a Chadwick Boseman tribute. You have Black as King. The the visual album yeah. from Beyonce. Yeah. And then once you get past that, though, there are two ineligible movies. We're not doing Marvel. So no Black Panther. Okay. And no Us. So those are the the two, I guess, you... Okay. You dump. Are we doing... Are we allowing Star Wars? We are... Okay. We didn't say we weren't. I, don't, so. I have no idea what Letterbox opinion on the various. I mean, I'm sure it's not. I just don't. I don't know whether Letterbox falls into the like love nostalgia mm-hmm. and gonna pick the Force Awakens or the Last Jedi. Love Ryan Johnson. Love auteur filmmakers. All right, but yeah. I'll, I'll I'll avoid that from now and go Twelve Years a Slave. Twelve Years a Slave, number one. Lock that uh, one in. Number one eligible with 4.1. Okay. I seem to recall The Last Jedi being 3.9, so I'm going to guess that. That is incorrect because very sadly, The oh, Last no. Jedi is 3.2. What? Wow, it's, I was living in a fantasy world. It's one of those where I look at my like activity from friends and it's all like four to five stars. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, it's like her third. It's The Last Jedi is literally her third lowest rated film on Letterboxd. Holy smokes. Okay. So maybe The Force Awakens. What else has she been in? She's in Queen of Katwe. That was Queen of Katwe. Queen of Katwe, number too eligible really the one i was hoping you just weren't gonna remember because that was gonna wow. be fun for me uh, so now this isn't fun for me but 3.6 uh 3.6 that's a big jump well there are two us okay, yeah. and black panther are both right. in between oh, four and those are probably around yeah. four so okay. this is the you know, okay so the force awakens and then the force awakens is yeah it's below 3.6 though is a 3.5 yeah mm, so right. excellent excellent work no right. no hints not only bad. one wrong yeah not too bad it was, really? a, it was a small if it the thing was if it wasn't that i like i would have been out well she hasn't i mean the thing is she actually hasn't like, made a lot of movies yeah the jungle book and oh. little monsters and non-stop oh. little he, monsters was that like a zombie movie yeah, on like last year, Hulu. the year before, it was like a comedy kind of. 
Yeah, I did not see it. But um, so she actually hasn't been in that much. But I was really, man, I was really banking on you just uh, not <laughs> remembering <laughs> Queen of Cutway, the yeah, chess, well. the chess movie, Disney movie. Yeah, I, I pretty sure I saw that in theaters in like the middle of the day. Nice. Yeah, I don't remember why, but that's what I vaguely remember. All right, well, a good, strong letterbox game showing. Excellent work. And I think that about closes the book on on Jordan Peele for now, as we've as we've made clear. Now, obviously, you can head over to roughcutcinema.com for some of our film festival content. Uh, before we wrap up here, any uh, any predictions for for festival season that you want to throw out there? I know you've been working on a series about kind of how. The, uh, the the film festival year progresses and you know who oh, it's amazing how much gets changes up and down it's amazing how despite there having been a dozen film festivals and already like seven different narratives normally by this point in the season in a, a non-covid year how much changes over like you know to the course of two weekends my main i'm curious jane campion has not replicated the widespread success of the piano in 30 years and everyone is just like and she hasn't made a movie in 12 years uh, right and everyone is just kind of like oh yeah power of the dog is going to be amazing yeah and Uh, is there going to be like a a butt here or a question or my question (laughs) is like what makes people think this is going to be different and this this there's two slightly different questions because I know you are a Jane Campion stan. So the question is less about quality. I think we can all rely on quality. But how is it going to be different than this sort of like very niche audiences? Why is, you know, is it just that Netflix has this? So people assume it's going to be more broad audience friendly. It's playing all or presumably playing all three of the big festivals, certainly two of the big ones. They're doing like, so Tiff is doing a, uh, you know, a big, fet of benedict cumberbatch he's in this which is certainly indicative of something um what is it that has people think like yeah no this is going to be different than the last 30 years this is going to be a big hit well i think you named it partly is that the fact that it's at three festivals like three of the major festivals and netflix has it makes you think that netflix is positioning it to be their big Oscar movie. Do they have another, am I forgetting? Do they have another one that they would be positioning as their Oscar bet this year? No, Blonde, Blonde is is not, Blonde yeah. is getting pushed and they apparently are pissed too, off at Too many issues. Cut. Um, yeah. No, what's the, the, yeah, there's. Like the, I mean, like you have like the guilty, but like, I don't think they're pushing like that. I mean, I think this is regard. There may be something else, but this feels like their yes. Netflix's like biggest feels like number one movie. And Netflix wants to win a Best Picture Oscar. You've got Cumberbatch, you've got Dunst, you've got Plemons. Like you have, you know, there's a lot going for this movie. It's based on, uh, you know, I, I think a fairly well regarded. Oh, novel. Don't Look Up is the other huge one. Yeah, that's fair. That doesn't feel like a no, not like quite. a vice big short level. But I mean, who knows? No, but we'll see. But yeah. Um, but sorry, continue. Yeah, it's it's based on I think like a, a not a super well known 
maybe not. I mean, I didn't know about it, but I think a, a fairly well-regarded older novel. It, it feels like there is a lot of like, and maybe and maybe part of it is just that Jane Cayman hasn't made a movie in 12 years. She did Top of the Lake um, on, on TV, but I think maybe a little less widely seen. And I think people probably in that span, people had more time to come around. She's been gone. People had time to come around on, you know, Bright Star and In the Cut. Right. And, and some of this stuff. So, and this is kind of a return. People love a return to form people narrative. Do. People do. Johnny Greenwood's doing the music for this. That's cool. That's fun. Very cool. Yeah. So that's my guess. All right. Um, All right. I mean, my, if I was going to like make a pretty, if I was going to like put my chips in on something, I'd maybe put my chips in on, on Power of the Dog. Would you? All right. As like that's the fair. front, as the front runner. I think my, I do, it'll be interesting to see from its description there there are certain very obvious thematic comparisons to nomadland which mm-hmm. could both help and hurt it yeah but i think it's gonna I, be a uh, lot meaner and way more sexual than nomadland <laughs> i think it is going to be Different. i don't know it's gonna be i think there's gonna be think pieces about it is what oh boy. i exciting so God, there, there's your Nomadland really... comparison. There were Nomadland thing pieces. Yeah, that's Amazon. what I'm saying. There's oh, your... Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, it's going to be less Amazon and, and more about like... Yeah. Sex. Sexual politics. Yeah. Sure. sure. I, uh, my, I think my really, really obvious take is that like, this is going to cement Anya Taylor-Joy as the next superstar. Mm. Next, uh, last Night in Soho, that is. Mm-hmm. My more fun takes are that Paolo Sorrentino is going to get, uh, he's going to get a push and a real, like he's going to get a lot of people behind him for like the international slot for best director. Cause there has been one in, in several of the last four or five years as the branch has gotten more international Yeah, and the hand of God trailer just looks so good. I uh, didn't watch, I didn't watch it yet. So I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. It's, it's really good trailer. Uh, and I think Kristen Stewart is going to set a really high bar for Elizabeth Debicki in the mm. portrayal of Princess Diana. Well, I mean, Debicki needs a high bar so she can get under <laughs> it. She's <True>. very tall. <laughs> for her to limbo under. Actually very helpful of, of Kristen. Yeah. Oh, good for her. All right, I'll give you, I, I think those are good. I'll give you my, my big hot take that I've been ruminating on that I don't want to be true. Okay. But here's my take. That the card count is bad. No, I think card count would be good. Right. Uh, well, what's the take? What's the take? I, I have some questions <laughs> after the trailer for the card counter. No, my right. take is Dune below the line nominations only at next year's Oscars. That's a reasonable take, right? I guess I mean, so. I think people Arri- Arrival got Best Picture, but Blade Runner didn't. Yeah, Bill Nuve hasn't been nominated at all, right? Did he not get nominated for Arrival? Maybe no, 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 he did not. I think people are. T- I, I feel like there there's a lot a, of actors, there's probably too many actors. For... Too many actors. I don't think it's like, I mean, adapted screenplay is always can be funny. If you but... pull off Dune at all, that might be enough for the narrative. Like, everybody Possibly. failed with Dune, David Lynch failed with Dune, like, but that he could turn this into a, a, a yeah. makeable movie as a, a, a feat of, of writing. People are very excited about Dune, but I feel like. And, and I feel like people are like talking, maybe not. I feel like people are like 
already talking about Dune as like kind of an Oscar lock potential. Like if Dune's yeah. good, Oscars. Right. If it's and at I'm all like, good, then I'm not sure that's the case. The world is its. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Good stuff. Power we'll of the see. Dog wins Best Picture. Jesse Plemons, you know, wins an Oscar. That'd be fun. Yeah. Well, we got, we have very little time to wait. We've got today recording Tuesday, August 24th. By the time we post this, we will be days away from the midweek next week bow at Venice, which is going to include Dune and Power of the Dog and Last Night Solo and Card Counter, Spencer, Hand of God, The Last Duel, and Halloween Kills. So I forgot. I'm pretty excited about Halloween Kills. I got to say. Me too. Cool. Nope. Uh, we will wait and see. We will probably have some thoughts in whatever our podcast is that comes after mm-hmm. the round of film festivals. And stay tuned on roughcutcinema.com for all of your film festival content. We have a number of pieces coming up over the next few weeks that will yep. probably wrap up over Labor Day weekend. And then we'll move on to our as yet unnamed September theme. Exactly. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.